they're just right there, right then. Um, you know, watch them when they're rolling in the grass or just sitting in the sun with their face turned up to the light. They're able to just be, and we're we're on this crazy addiction of thinking constantly, always thinking, always thinking, and we don't give ourselves a break. And um, it's tough to be good to yourself when you can't give yourself a break. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with coach and owner of Dogs and Men, Michael Overly. Through Dogs and Men, Michael works with men who have a dog and are looking to move further in their life. Michael fell in love with dogs at a very early age and throughout his life learned to observe and learn from his four-legged companions. Combining his passion for dogs and helping people, Michael has designed his course which is available at dogsandmen.com. Michael and I had a wonderful conversation about life, self-care, and how we can learn from delightful dogs. Thank you, as always, to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Michael Overly, how are you doing this evening? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. Uh, so, Michael, your website is dogsandmen.com, and I... I, I thought about this a little bit before, and I thought about trying to to explain it, but I feel like I would not do it enough service. So will you please explain what your work is and what dogsandmen.com is all about? Absolutely. It is um, a culmination of many failed attempts. So um, I, I completely simplified the website just to uh, to minimize um, offerings, confusion, and, and you know a bunch of pages of information that people don't feel like reading anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a simple site where I offer uh, currently online course and coaching. Um, so what I do um, is a little different. I work with men who have a dog and are looking to move further into their life. They know that there's that they're being called to do something else. There's there's more for them. They don't know how to get there. Now these are guys who have experienced some success. You know, done well in their job, whatever. Maybe married. But they they feel that there's something more, and they don't realize the power of their four legged pal next to them. Yeah, no, I think it's so cool. Um, so i I started working with a life coach maybe two years ago, almost exactly, maybe. Um, and love her; she's she's excellent. However, this January, I got a dog. I rescued a, a dog from the Humane Society, or adopted a dog from the Humane Society, and. I've always been a dog person. I mean, one of the earliest episodes of the walk show that I have is, is called to all the dogs I've loved before. And it's just me and a friend of mine, (laughs) her and I just kind of going back and forth about different dogs we've known. It it was early in the pod. Um, But I mean, as a little kid, I would, there was the the neighbors uh, next door to my parents' house. There was a chain link fence that separated the backyards, but they had two dogs and as a real small kid, like before I started elementary school, even I would go and lay next to the fence and like stick my hand through the fence just to try and touch them. And they were very sweet dogs. I didn't get bit or anything crazy. Um, but yeah, just always had this obsession like quality almost with how much I love dogs. And to be clear, like I have friends that are into like dog shows um, or, you know, dog science, if you will, for lack of a better way to say it. And, and and not that I think that that stuff is like dumb or, or something crazy like that, but just it's more uh, intuitive for me, right? Like it's not a certain fact about dogs. I'm like, oh, well, that's so fascinating. That draws me to them. I just I just see a dog and I just kind of melt. Um, so now all that I've said all of that, how is your relationship <laughs> with dogs? Are you how did you how did you when did you discover you love dogs so much? Um. I was probably four or five when we got our first dog. Uh, his name was Sage, and he was an Australian mm-hmm. Shepherd mix. And he was that dog was crazy. He was off his cookie. Um, he was so damn fun. He 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 was you know the family dog. We got him as a puppy, but he quickly became my pal. And uh, I had him for about sixteen years, and we went through all kinds of things together. Mm-hmm. Um, parents divorced, my brother getting paralyzed. Um, I was suicidal as a teen, and that dog just kept me going. Um, but I've, I've always I've loved nature and loved animals. 
I was always rescuing whatever it was, my driving my mom batty. I'd come home with some other animal wrapped up in something. And, uh, yeah, but it, it, it stuck with the dogs. Um, somehow I knew, I knew they were different for me. Yeah. And, um, I've had four dogs and each one was, was different and amazing in their own way and crazy in their own way. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I learned a lot of lessons and started to open up to that more recently. Yeah. And I, you'll just have to forgive me. This is the way the show goes. I just ask random questions that are in no logical or coherent order. Um, Bring it. Something, <laughs> something that's dawned on me, though, with my dog. So I had a dog growing up. My dad had a dog. My parents split when I was pretty young. My dad had a dog, but that was definitely my dad's dog. Like, we, I mean, I was cool with him, but he was he was my my dad was his person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I lived with my mom, when I was in like middle school age, early teen years, I, we got a dog and he was much more my dog. However, once I graduated high school and I moved out, then I wasn't really around, you know, in the same way as much. So the, the bond wasn't quite the same. So this dog that I have now is the first time I've owned a, owned a dog as an adult that I'm fully responsible for. And, you know, if, if something doesn't get done, it's my fault and there's no one else to pick up that slack as opposed to when you're a kid and your parents will kind of back you up, you know, Mm -hmm. um, something that I, I find myself considering though. And and I, I ask you, this as someone who's had multiple dogs throughout your life is that even though my dog, you know, DJ, he's only, uh, they said they thought he was about a year when I adopted him and I haven't had him a whole nother year yet. So he's still pretty young. And I don't think about it every day, but I find myself thinking about his mortality, about the fact that, you know, 15 or 16 years is on the high end, probably what I'll, I'll have him around for. How do you process that? And how, how do you think about that now after having had dogs many different times? That's hard. So um, the dog that was the greatest catalyst for my change and my growth, his name is Darby, and he um, he left me just this last May, mm. so just just a few months ago, um, and he was freaking amazing. That was hard. Oh my god, that was hard. Um, yeah. But I knew it would be coming. I knew it was possible. Um, I mean, we're all going to die. We don't want to talk about it. We we seem to try and avoid it all the time. It's it's going to happen. Um, I guess he he taught me that I didn't have to be afraid of of him leaving that mm. he taught me all he could and it was just time for him to go. So, um, we had a great little party for him and, um, had a vet come to the house to put him down. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how to put that. I've never liked that phrase, but, um, right. send him, send him on his way. He knew what sure. was going on. He went over and greeted the vet and then came back and laid it, laid him you know, next to my lap. Mm. He knew exactly what was going on and you know, oh, it tore me up. And, you know, I, I bawled, I cried. That dog was, he did so much for me, but, um, that will not stop me from getting another dog. They are amazing. And we have so much to learn from them and other animals. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading, there's a guy named Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but I was reading one of his books and he was talking about how, um, people should take care of themselves as if it's someone they're responsible for, which sounds kind of silly because, of course, we're all responsible for ourselves. But then the example he cites is like people will have a pet that gets sick and they rush to the vet and they get the medicine and they're very diligent about making sure to prescribe that medicine. But then they don't do the same thing for themselves like they wouldn't treat themselves with that level of uh, attention. And 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 so I you know, intellectually, I got that and that made sense. Well, then recently when I was thinking about DJ and about how like, I mean, obviously who knows what will happen, but probably I outlive him. Right. And, and, and then I thought of, well, what can I do about that? And clearly the answer is nothing. (laughs) And, and so then I thought, well, I guess that means that I have to try and make sure that every day he has really is awesome because (laughs) I'm keenly aware of how many days he has again, to some estimate. But then again, it's like, am I doing that with myself? <laughs> because I also will die. And I also only have so many days left. You know what I mean? Um, so just kind of an interesting thought, I guess, to, to, to think about DJ, you know, a dog, and then be able to relate that back to, to myself. 
Oh, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, and God, we can go so much deeper with that. Not just, you know, making sure you're eating better or, or you know, driving a little slower or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. What about, you know, I mean, mental health is a huge thing in this country and people don't take care of themselves on, on superficial as well as deep levels when it comes to that. And our, our dogs, I think, are constantly trying to get us to slow down pay attention and take care of ourselves the best we can. I see people spend tons of money on all sorts of, you know, collars and, and different jackets and necklaces and jewelry for their dogs. Um, they put all this attention on something outside of themselves because they fear the loss of that. And they don't spend the time and money taking care of themselves as they need to. Mm. So, did you, you know, obviously now you've kind of combined coaching with with the love for dogs and, and integrate that in. Had you done coaching stuff before that was not related to dogs or is this your first foray into that? This is my first official foray into that. I dipped my foot in there a number of times in the past. Mm. Um, I kept getting called, kind of called back to it. Yeah. But I thought, you know what, this, I'm, I, I'm not going to. I'm going to be me. I'm not going to be like every, you know, all these other guys out there trying to vie for the same kind of thing. Um, what are my huge passions? Helping people. I was an EMT for 15 years. I was saving lives there. Um, I want to help people. Yeah. And there's, there's, I, I've noticed a different way. And we, we all have this incredible, or not all, but most of us have this incredible resource sitting right next to us. And if, you know, dogs are incredible teachers of presence. And if we can, if we can slow it down and start to notice just one little thing different at a time, um, it's amazing the compounding effect that has. Yeah, that's something that's, that's a really interesting statement. Can, can you elaborate a little bit on, on what you mean by the dog can help us understand how to be present? Absolutely. So picture your dog. Oh, here's one of my favorite things. Dogs hanging out the window of a car. And I've got I've got a chapter of a book in there somewhere called Dogs Riding in Cars. Um, <laughs> and they are just right there. They're not worrying about, you know, where their next meal is coming from. Um, if they're going to actually get that bone that they wanted for Christmas, they're not worried about paying bills and making the mortgage. And, you know, is Johnny going to walk me in the morning? They're just right there, right then. Um, you know, watch them when they're rolling in the grass or just sitting in the sun with their face turned up to the light. Mm. Um, yeah, they're able to just be, and we're, we're on this crazy addiction of thinking constantly, always thinking, always thinking, and we don't give ourselves a break. And, um, it's tough to be good to yourself when you can't give yourself a break. Right. Right. So you, you mentioned, you know, that you're the, the dog that you had as a child and, and the different life events that, that he was kind of there with you through, when did you first kind of start to think that I don't want to say supernatural. Cause I, I, I get it that we're not trying to talk about like <laughs> the dog is a, a, a mutant or something, but when did you realize that it had uh, maybe some intangible benefits? Probably even as a kid, cause I don't know how, but sometimes I, I guess I just knew what he was thinking hmm. and, um, and there's, there's people out there who are actually animal communicators. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, for me, I think it was an energetic connection. I'm also an energy healer. Um, but I, I got them and, and animals got me and I would, I'd find myself talking to people's animals, <laughs> well, you know, even when I was a kid and I, I think kids are, more, are way more open to that and you know, they don't care what adults are thinking. They're just, I'm talking to this cat, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I guess I just, I started noticing things and connecting with animals when I was really young. And then I lost some of that as I got older. And then it, it has since kind of come back to me. Mm. So was there, was there, was there like a moment or anything or, or, or just a period of time where you realized like being around my dog is giving me a different perspective or a different insight? Or was that more as an adult when you came back to it? No, I, I remember when, when my parents got divorced, um, or when they, when they actually split, when my dad left, it was, it was a total shocker because we didn't even know that they argued, right? That's, that's kind of how they handle things. 
And I, you know, wanted to blame myself, didn't know what was going on, didn't understand. I was what, 11 or 12, I think, at the time. And I went and sat outside on a back step. And my dog came up and just quietly sat down next to me and then just leaned into me. And then we just leaned our heads against each other. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, this this dog's magic. That's exactly what I need right now. Right. And yeah. that kind of started my like, huh, I wonder if. Right. Yeah, I know. And I mentioned earlier my timeline of, of, of adopting my dog. And I joke now with my coach a lot since that time. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it per se, but since I've had him, um, I, certainly I'm not stress-free. <laughs> certainly I'm not, uh, I've not overcome all obstacles in my life or something, but I am, I am able to get back to center for lack of a better way to say that a lot easier. Um, mm -hmm. I find myself, if I get really worked up about something, it's easier to come, to come back to a more neutral place. Um, and so I joke with her all the time. I'm like, well, I don't know if it's these changes that we're working on with me or if he's just magical somehow and is just making everything better. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm curious. Do you think do you think he's just magical or what's going on here? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just waking up to it. Yeah. So no, well, it's both, right? It's so mm. you you are willing right now. You're you've hired someone to help you with some things. So you were willing to make changes and your dog's just like, fuck yeah, let's go. Let's, <laughs> here we go. And you're, you know, you know that the dog is going to be there no matter what, right? You can have the worst yeah. day and you come home and this dog is just gonna, not going to judge you. Doesn't care what you look like in your tidy whities Is going to give you some love? Doesn't care if your hair is falling out. You know what I mean? Right. The dog is just there to be there for you. Um, and, you know, and people's dogs are different. Not everybody has a cuddly fuzzy dog. But they just, they get it. And you're starting to get it a little bit. And, you know, we don't, we try to explain everything. We want to understand everything. Well, some things you just, you're, you may not understand. Okay. And that's all right. Yeah. That's all right. But if, if you're seeing an effect and you're feeling a result, yeah, why not, why not be magic? Yeah, no, I, I say it all the time. I mean, obviously I anticipated that I would uh, love him quite a bit prior to adopting him. Um, but it's gone far beyond what I even would have thought how much I enjoy him being around. And, mm -hmm. and like I said, just getting back to center, like I can, I can be on a conference call at work that sucks as most conference calls do. And then go sit and cuddle with him for even just a couple of minutes. And it's, I'm just immediately like, Oh yeah, I don't actually care about that stuff <laughs> nearly as much. I like your fuzzy little mm -hmm. face far more than I like the, the conference calls. Um, so when you're working with the people that, that you're working with, are you, is it, is it in person? I mean, I, I guess with COVID, maybe that's always a no now, but <laughs> yeah, right now everything's is, uh, it's all distance. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm up to it. I'm, you know, I got my shot. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not too afraid of getting sick, but, uh, yeah, so it, everything's, everything's online or on the phone now. So I, I guess I'm curious then how, in what ways do you kind of work with your client in conjunction with the dog? Well, it depends what's going on with them and what they need. Mm. Um, so every, every person is different. Every, everybody's life situation is a little different. There's no one size fits all. So there's, there's a ton of questions that people need to answer for themselves. And I help guide them through that. And then I have just an immense uh, number of exercises for them to do with their dogs where they can go spend time with these things. Um, but being with your dog allows you that presence. It allows you a, another level of safety. Um, some of these things, you know, you can't talk to your buddies about. You can't talk to your dad about. He's not going to get it. Um, you know, that's okay. It's just the way it is. Um, if you have a dad like that, then outstanding. But um our dogs allow us to be a little bit more vulnerable, mm. right? You can even have a conversation with your dog. You know, they're not going to run down the street and say, hey, guess what this dipstick said? Um, <laughs> you can, you know what I mean? There's this, there's this bond and you're, you're feeling this deepening bond. It's incredible. And there's this level of trust there. So mm. there, there's this huge ability for this dog to be a catalyst. Yeah, I was... 
I was listening to some other conversation within the last few months, and and they were they were talking about humans' relationship with different animals throughout history, and obviously the horse gets a lot of credit mm-hmm. uh, for revolutionizing farming and travel and those sorts of things. But then this guy said, he was like, you know, the other animal that doesn't get as much credit as the horse, but absolutely should is the dog. Um, Because historically they really helped us solve a lot of problems by being able to do jobs that then humans didn't have to do and and that sort of stuff. Um, I guess, is that something you've researched at all or thought about at all? Like how, the relationship between humanity at large and dogs? Um, at large, I think dogs are mostly misunderstood. Mm. And, you know, there we have our historical context that they're domesticated approximately 26,000 years ago. And um, I don't know who actually would domesticate who, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, we, we, we took them in. I think they, they took us on. Mm. <laughs> but um, animals in general... Um, are just more aware of, of their surroundings, of, of what's going on. Um, horses are incredible healers as well. Mm. So I've actually done some work in training with horses, with, with energy work. Um, I have a buddy who uses horses to do gestalt, gestalt therapy training um, for people who are going with, you know, PTSD, works with a lot of veterans, those kinds of things. And the animals, they have a whole different kind of energy going on. Mm. It's fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have some, I have a friend who's um, very, I don't, I mean, she doesn't, she's not like writing, you know, she's not like animals are not dictating to her or something. She's not like writing letters out like, well, the cat said today, you know, it's not like that. But similar to kind of what you described has this kind of unique ability to, to just communicate with animals, even again, not maybe not verbally even, but just through this kind of more energetic level. And she has a friend that's a horse, or that's a, a horse. She has a friend that's a veterinarian um, who has horses that that also can 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 communicate with animals and kind of understand uh, helps to to understand what is ailing them or whatever. Um, I think it's super interesting to to think about about animals in that kind of context. I guess so. To shift gears a bit, you know, something that, that you're helping people with is it is it discovering finding happiness is it purpose is it fulfillment like what is it that you are are geared towards helping people find um yes (laughs) 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 um they're all interrelated i believe Mm. um i think if if you know there's plenty of people out there just doing nine to five getting through it and struggling doesn't you know not happy not happy at all um, if, if there's something you really love, maybe people do it on the side and then they can tolerate their day job better. They're going to be a little happier. Uh, you take it up a level and you have someone who's doing a doing something they absolutely love. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it's something that really provides them with a sense of, oh, my God, I am contributing and I'm serving others in a, in a grander way. Um, those people are going to be even happier still. Mm. So fulfillment and purpose um, go hand in hand and you can create happiness out of that. So is happiness something that is obtained or is it something, a state that you just exist in or not, or is it a a destination that you get to? No, I, I think it's, I think it's both a state and something can be attained. I think, Mm. I think, you know, as let's say we're born, we're little kids, we're babies. We're just naturally happy. Hmm. We unlearn that as we get older, we get adulted and we get lots of rules and regulations and all these people telling us who they think we need to be, right? All your school teachers, um, you know, te- uh, teach a certain way and train you to be a certain way in their class. Um, your dad treats you a certain way, your mom treats you a certain way. So we have all these crazy identities that we just pile on top of ourselves and we, I think we get lost in that somewhere. So what I basically do is, is to help these guys remember how awesome they already are mm. underneath all these, these veils, right? All these, all these things, all these identities that other people told them that they had to be. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and it's interesting to, you know, you're talking about purpose and, and fulfillment there. 
and that's something that I've wondered about myself with, with DJ. I'm, you know, not married, no children. So largely my whole life just been as an adult, at least responsible for myself. Um, and with, with adopting a dog, I feel like there's a, a value just in being responsible for someone other than myself. Um, is that something that you found in your work with this? Absolutely. It it's and we can go back to the fact that we we'd rather care for someone else than we care for right. ourselves. So there's something there's something beautiful about nurturing and taking care of someone or something else. Mm. Um and you know the compassion that comes out of us, the love that we're able to give and we we have an easier time giving that to our dogs than we necessarily do ourselves, which is quite fascinating. Um, but I think the dogs help us by allowing us to express that and to be able to show that affection and that care for someone else. And for some folks, that's that's maybe as good as it's going to get for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So. Yeah, I was looking through your on your website. I was looking through the, the you offer a couple of different programs or, or offerings there. Um, and one of them, the, the, the first one I saw is I, I want to say, is it, is it 40 different lessons? Is it five lessons a, a week across eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's an eight week course and, um, there's a, a short video Monday through Friday, every day yeah. short. Um, because you know, people can't stand being talked at for like an hour you're not going to remember anything. So right. I, I did these, um, you know, ba basically about 10 minute videos. Um, and then asking questions, lots of questions for you to work on and ask yourself and then exercises to do with your dog. So it's, yeah. it's simple, but it's, it's deep and profound and it's, it, and it moves slowly to set you up for success. Yeah. Well, so a, I think that it's, I think that that's, um, I mean, it's certainly for you to call it simple is, is fair. I haven't gone through the course, but I actually was really impressed by the fact that there's that volume of lessons. I mean, if you had said it's an eight week course and there's one course a week, that's still, that's still a lot. Right. Um, so to have, to have that volume, I think is really awesome. And people can go through it kind of, obviously it's intended to go through week over week, but if they wanted to come back to it after the fact or extend that time out of the there, they can, can do all of that. You know, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, take the class, you get lifetime access. I mean, yeah. it's now that let's let, let me clarify something. It's simple in its application, but it doesn't make mm. it easy. Mm. So, you know, this, and this, this is attempting to create a shift in perception, um, at least a small shift in a short period of time. So, um, I mean, a, a huge amount of transformation can occur, but it, it's going to be, you're going to get uncomfortable. You're going to have to be vulnerable and willing to um, admit to yourself things you may not like about yourself. Nothing wrong there. It's just an awareness, but we have to get past some of that. Right. So I was looking through, I was kind of scrolling through the different lessons um, that were available in that package. And towards the end, I saw one and I don't remember the day or the exact week. And, and I'm also going to butcher the title of the episode somewhat, but um, or the lesson, I guess I should say, but it was something about like, just, just, just get out and go serve. Like uh -huh. just stop what you're doing and go serve something along those lines. Am I crazy here? Yeah. Just get out and serve. There we go. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, taking care of the dog, being responsible for someone other than yourself and, and how that has value. And this is, I don't know how much sense this makes because I only had this thought literally a couple of days ago and I haven't talked to anyone else about it yet. So <laughs> here you go. Um, you know, we talk about mental health and I, I've had a variety of psychologists. I've had a variety of life coaches. I, again, I myself work with a coach. You're a coach. So clearly I think that that topic, that subject is, is important and valuable for people to, to hear about and learn about and, and explore. However, I was also thinking that to some extent, I feel like we've gone so far at, in, in this current moment in time 
with this conversation about mental health and, and those sorts of things that, and again, I, I, I almost paint it with too broad of a brush in this statement, but it feels like we've gotten to a place where the hard work is admitting that we don't feel okay sometimes, right? Like if you can stand up and say like, Hey, you know what I do? I do get depressed or I do, I do have anxiety sometimes like that is like commendable. And, and I'm not trying to, to be dismissive of, of, of people doing that, but where I'm trying to land this plane at is I almost, the thought I had was, I wonder if part of it is like when you're, when I, when I'll just say me instead of them or they or you, but when I feel bogged down by the problems of my own life, which to be fair are actually not that catastrophic, right? Like I can, I can manage, um, Would that be, would I feel the same way if I gave myself a different perspective by trying to solve a problem that's way harder to solve, which sounds counterintuitive, like, oh, I feel overwhelmed by my own personal things. But what if I was trying to solve a problem that was way bigger than, than my own self? Would I still have that same perception about my own problems? Does this make sense at all where, what I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great question. So I think we, we all tend to get stuck where we're at, right? So yeah. um, people are in different places. For some people, a little, a little tiny thing is a big deal. Other people mm-hmm. think, uh, yeah, no, yeah, there we go. So we, we like to compare ourselves and minimize, and, oh, my problems aren't as big as that, guys. But if, if we can turn our attention maybe off of our own stuff for a little bit, I'm not saying you have to dive into the stuff every day, but go and help somebody else with something, you have no idea what you might be able to learn. Mm. And you might hear something, see something, be part of a conversation, and go, and just be like, oh, holy crap, I had no idea. Right there, you get a change in perspective. Now, is that going to directly help you in, your, in that moment? Maybe, maybe not. But it could lead to something else. That's the thing. This step leads to this step, which leads to this step. And there's almost never a straight line. Right. So. Hmm. Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't mean to, to be diminishing of, of the mental health conversation. I know we've actually just, as a culture, kind of broken through where that, that conversation has been normalized um, in a lot of ways, at least. So I, I can appreciate that. But yeah, I was just, I don't know. I, I just, I see things that happen to, you know, for example, kids as an example, and they're just so, um, so purely a victim of whatever that circumstance is because they literally can't pick it at all. You know what I mean? And so it's like, yeah, I, I can spend time feeling bad about my own choices that I make or whatever, but I, they were my own choices that I made, you know what I mean? (laughs) Versus, helping people that literally didn't have any agency in whatever circumstance they find themselves in. Um, yeah, I don't know. Again, like I said, I, I don't even know where I was trying to go with that as much as it was a thought I had the other day and it seemed relevant to our conversation here. No, and, and I get it. So I, I used to classify kids and animals as the innocents. Yeah. Right. They, they didn't, you know, make that bad decision to get, to get in the car when they're drunk and do this. I mean, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, so I used to, uh, I, I'd call it my sheriff's badge. So I'd, I'd hear about something, I'd get all grumpy and frumpy about it and, and want to go charge off and make a difference and, you know, whatever it was. And um, I started to learn that not every fight is mine. Hmm. So it's hard because I'm, I'm, you know, I have a lot of compassion for people and animals. Um, I used to have more compassion for animals than I did for people for a long time. Yeah. Um, after watching what people can do to each other, and uh, now uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to come from a little different place, and I realize that you know these we, we like to term things bad, horrible, traumatic. These things are going to happen. They're going to happen, and you know, there's nothing I probably could have done to have stopped that incident. Can I learn from what happened from it? Absolutely. Mm. Is there something I can take away from that that makes me a better person the next time I encounter a situation? That's really all we can do. 
I mean, you can live in the past all day long, and you're and you never you never move forward. So, right, right. Back to the presence conversation. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and things things are scary. They're uncomfortable. They hurt. You know, people get wounded. People get injured. People lose loved ones. It that's just part of being on this planet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, have the awareness that. That, that could happen. You don't have to live in, in fear of it, of it happening and waiting for something, you know, the other shoe to drop or whatever. But just be aware, you know, these things happen. And, and I'm, I know they're going to happen, but I want to live the best life I can. so interesting to see the almost paradoxical nature of things sometimes you know my dog dj for example i I was thinking at one point about how he never thinks about the future right like he he probably doesn't know what anxiety is i mean maybe outside of a moment like maybe if a noise startles him or something then he might be afraid of that for some period but to your point earlier you know he's not worried about like is the light bill paid tomorrow? Is there food in the refrigerator? He doesn't think about those things. It's not how he operates. And on the one hand, it's it's like, well, that's a, an enviable trait, right? Like how blissful it must be to just be in the moment. But at the same time, if I literally was just in the moment and didn't make sure that the utility bill was paid and didn't make sure there was food available... I don't think I would be living a better life <laughs> at that at that time. So there's this that's why I say paradox because it's it's this balance that has to be struck be- between seemingly opposing ideas. Prepare for the future, live in the moment. You oh can't yeah. Just do all of one, you know. Oh yeah, no absolutely. And you know, I mean, you can still be present and remember that you got to take the trash out. <laughs> right. Right. It's okay. Yeah, you you got to put gas in the car, you still got to put your underwear on and you know, <laughs> pants on and go to work. Um, but it, it's, it's being able to come from a different place where you're not, your thoughts aren't being produced from this fear, um, fear of a situation that happened 10 years ago, fear of something that may or may not happen later today. You know, well, God, we create these stories. We create these sto- crazy little stories for ourselves all the time. Um, and, but being able to just be here right now, aware of what's going on in your surroundings. Yep. I paid my bills today. I got this handled. Um, but you can still be here and not not projecting so far into the future or living out of the past. Yeah, that that word fear that's something that I've um, that I've thought and talked quite a bit about personally. But I, I am curious, how do you deal with fear? Whenever fear comes to you, what do you think about it? How do you process it? How do you interact with it? Oh God, sometimes I'm great, and sometimes I'm really shitty with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I'm, I, I was afraid most of my life from the time I was a little kid, I was scared. Um, yeah, I was really afraid. I never, I never felt safe. Um, I mean, I was a preteen and I was carrying a knife. I don't know why, who's going to come at me. I don't know, but I thought I had to carry a knife. Um, later as an adult, I had a concealed carry permit. I was carrying a gun. Why? I, cause I was afraid, but I wouldn't admit no, no. Cause you know, things are going sideways and these guys might do something stupid and I'm going to have to stop them. You know, I'm like, well, what the hell is that about? So like, luckily I've been able to move past that, but you know, fear is potentially in everything, right? It, it depends what your experience is and, and how much you've been able to move past. Do things still scare me? Yep. Mm. Yeah. Do I handle them much better now? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Um, and I, I still get frustrated and pissed off and, um, but I don't, I don't feel the need to attack mm. to protect myself. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no road raging. Cause somebody cut me off and, and maybe scared me. I don't have to chase them down and tell them what a, you know, shitty driver SOB they are. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I had, this was a few years ago now, but I had an incident and it was, I, I say an incident, it was so minor, but I was in a parking lot and I'm also not a road rage driver. I mean, I'll make sarcastic quips to myself, but that's about as far as it goes. Um, yeah. Someone did something in a parking lot. Like I'll, I'll say, cut me off. I don't even know if that describes it, but whatever. There was a weird situation in a parking lot and, and I instantly flashed to anger and then followed them. Now, to be clear, for like three seconds in the parking lot, not out onto the street or anything like that, because luckily three seconds in, I thought, what am I doing? Like, what am I going to do if I catch up to them? And what do I have to say? And the answer to that is nothing. And I, I'm in my car because I have somewhere to go. Like, I have shit to do, Like, which they weren't a part of that equation when I got in the car. So I, I guess my point in bringing that story up is that I think for me something that helps a lot is being able to just recognize the fear for what it is and ignore. And, and, and again, to your point, it doesn't mean I don't get frustrated or I won't have an, an emotional response to something, but being able to go, ah, this is what is now happening. Is that, you know, you said that you're a lot better at dealing with it now, even though not perfect. Is that recognition where it is or is there something else? Yeah. So no, it's perfect. So sometimes I catch it. Like right as I'm about to say something, and and that's a change, right? That's a change for me. Um, other times, I I feel it. I'm like, okay, that's not mine, not mine. I just tell myself that's not mine, and I don't, I don't even, nothing even escapes my lips, right? Um, or gets even close. Um, sometimes, you know, I I can sit there and just go, oh, you son of a, you fucking son of a, you know, <laughs> right? Um. So, do, yeah, I still get a little frustrated, but I do not get these heightened, you know, oh, you mother scratching son of a, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, things still scare me. I still get freaked out by little things. Um, the, the the news media scares the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I pretty much don't watch the news anymore because that's not fun. Right. You know, I mean, I want to be aware, but um, the, the fear mongering that, that they literally program into the presentation um, it only serves to keep us quiet, I think. Yeah, no, I would, I would completely agree. Um, uh, and we will not go down a politics conversation, I assure you, but, uh, you know, a few years ago I was, I'll just say I was very surprised by the result of the 2016 election, right? I was really surprised that president Trump was that was president. And so I started seeking out all sorts of media that would confirm my own biases, right? It's like, yep. hey, I'm not alone, right? Someone else <laughs> has some of these same thoughts. And at first I found some comfort in that. I'm from small town Missouri. So most people around here were not surprised that he was president. So I don't fit in in a lot of ways <laughs> with the, the community around here. But what I actually found after a few months of that was that I was experiencing these levels of stress and anxiety over things happening in Washington that I have zero ability to control. And that frankly, largely don't impact me personally or anyone that I'm, you know, in contact with. And not that that's the only measure by which something should be important or not. But anyway, the, the, the point I'm trying to get to is that when I stopped consuming all of that media all the time, I wasn't stressed out about it anymore. Right. And it's not I wasn't putting my head in the sand and hiding from it. I still, you know, see headlines. I still listen to like the the New York Times Daily podcast, which covers, you know, a news story or so every day. But but the constant inundation with the, the media consumption, it really did have a significant impact on me. And I just bring that up because I think that's something that it's it can be easy to say and, and maybe it seems easy to intellectually grasp, but until you actually can remove yourself from something like that and see how insidious it really can be, I think it can be hard to to estimate how powerful what you're consuming all day, how it affects you, which again, sounds crazy. That sentence, <laughs> what no. you're consuming all day changes you like, of course it does, but I don't know. It's just, it's not something we, we think about a lot. Oh, absolutely. I read a book by a guy um, a few couple years ago. Anyway, um, he he suggested as part of of what he was he was working with 
was to do a media fast. Mm. So, um, yeah, don't watch the news for 30 days, I think it was. And I was like, eh, I'll try it. Oh, man, I loved it. <laughs> I loved, I started, seriously, started relaxing even more. I was like, wow. Yeah. Because, yeah, we get filled with all these things and all these horrible things going on around the world. And, and I have compassion for those people, but that's not mine to carry. Right. You know, I mean, it's funny because we want to feed the children in this country and that country, but we don't take care of our neighbors down the street who are hurting. That one's Thank always you. kind of blown me away. I've never understood that. I think because because it's so close to us that it makes we fear that, oh, my God, that could be me. But if I can send a check to take care of some kids, you know, 6,000 miles away, then I feel good about myself. Isn't that right. fascinating? Yeah. 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 No, it, it definitely is. Well, and I think it's, I don't remember the, the name anymore. Uh, I would get it wrong. There was some famous killing in New York, I think in like the 70s, where this man chased this woman around, like on the street and into a variety of buildings and ended up stabbing her to death, I believe. And there are witnesses everywhere. It's the middle of the city. But everyone thought that someone else was doing something about it because they can all see. It's like this phenomenon where if you're the only one that knows about a problem, the likelihood that you solve it is, or try and solve it is way greater than if there's 30 people, then you know you're all aware of the problem mm -hmm. because then everyone thinks that someone else will take the responsibility, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I yeah. That, I talk about that in my course as well. And I wrote it about mm -hmm. it in my book is a taking responsibility is huge. Yeah, well, you know, something I've come to, to think about is, you know, for a long time, I've always heard you can't solve other people's problems or you can't save other people. And and I always thought that that was like a, for lack of a better way to say it, like a moral or an ethical or a, a fair statement. Like, it's not like you can't save someone else because you shouldn't, right? Like, it, they should save themselves. Like, that's the just way for that to work. But what I've actually come to understand uh, through some people that I care about a lot who who struggle with, with some things is that it doesn't matter sometimes what you would be willing to sacrifice. Literally, you can't be responsible for the other person. Even if you throw fairness and justice out the window, even if you're willing to be, you literally can't. Um, which is on the one hand, empowering because everyone can save themselves kind of thing. On the other hand, can be kind of sad because if someone's not and you want to, what, you know, there's not, there's nothing, there's not an answer for that. Yeah. I mean, until someone is willing to make a better decision for themselves, you, it, you really can't do much for them. It doesn't mean you can't love them. Right. Right. You can't support them in, in another way, but, um, we, you know, we, we have this thing about trying to save everybody and, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's definitely misguided. Um, yeah, it's hard to empower someone to help themselves if you're always fi fixing stuff for them. That's true. That's a fair point as well. That's a fair point so, as well. And again, not to sound callous, but no. Um, yeah. That's why I tried to frame it the way I did, because it's not about, again, it's not about being callous, right? It's not it's almost, it's just like a math problem. It's like two plus two is four and it's not really, it doesn't really matter emotionally how you process that. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how I feel about personal responsibility. <laughs> it's the same as simple addition. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, and this is, this is a little more woo woo than I normally try and be, I guess. But I mean, I even went so far as to, to, to think, you know, there's the old saying, like when you point one finger out, I'm trying to get to the cameras, you can see you point one out, there's three pointing back. Yeah. Right? And that's a lot to do. Usually when I've heard that statement, it's a lot to do with blame. Like, oh, you're blaming someone else, but, you know, three times that blame yourself kind of thing. But I actually thought about it more as like, maybe the index finger pointing out is, is blame. And maybe that's valid because sometimes a circumstance is happening that is outside of my own control and it is something else's fault, if you will. 
but blame and, and responsibility are different. And so even though it might not be my fault that X is happening, it is actually my responsibility to make it better. Because again, there is no one else that can save me from my own life, right? I have to be able mm-hmm. to, to be responsible, whatever that is. And so then I was thinking like, this is a lesson that is built into every person, like assuming you have all of your digits, regardless of culture, regardless of language, regardless of anything. If you point, three fingers will point back at you. And it it's almost like, the, like a lesson that's built into every human body. And it seems like that might be the, the, the transcendence lesson, right? Like the way that we overcome whatever traps we find ourselves in, it seems like personal responsibility is actually just the answer to getting out of that. And I don't mean from like a, a bootstraps perspective or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean it's not about grit or something. It's more just, again, if you can see yourself as being responsible for everything in your life, I think that might be the key to finding happiness that we were talking about earlier. Oh, that is so huge. You have no idea. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If, if you can get to a place where you own your feelings, they're, they're yours, right? Nobody, yep. nobody shoved them into you. Um, yeah. If you can get to a place where you can own all that, um, that, that is a complete game changer and, and amazing things happen at that point. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love to blame and shame. And it's a distraction for the things that make us uncomfortable. What, why is this situation making me uncomfortable? I'm not willing to look at my feelings. I'd rather get pissed off at that guy for, for doing something that I think is wrong. Right. Okay. So what I'm projecting my stuff onto him, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to, I want him to be a, to pay for it. Which will not serve to make me more comfortable in the end at all. No, <laughs> no, but, but it keeps me from having to deal with my own stuff. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so we talked a little bit about your your the one course that you offer that's the the eight week course that that's got all the different videos in it, but then there's also another program. Can you talk about what that second offering is? Yeah, so that that's a uh, that's private coaching. That's one on one coaching, um, and that takes the basics from the course, which are, are deep enough in in themselves for some some interesting transformation to happen. But it, it goes much deeper than that for the, for the guys who are willing to really, um, really dig down to find out who they really are. Mm. Well, it's it's remembering. It's all about remembering. I mean, we we've always been there. <laughs> we we didn't leave. We just we we kind of covered ourselves up. Yeah, I mean, this isn't about self reflection, really. But so there was a, a coworker that I had a few years back, and she was largely disliked by most of the people in the office. Um, and she had a picture on her cubicle of what I assume was probably her granddaughter, like a, you know, three or four year old little girl in a dress, very cute, happy little picture. And I, I, I had the thought that, that little girl could do maybe literally anything. I mean, I don't know what a child that age could do or say that we wouldn't largely agree. Like, well, I mean, they're, she's three, you know, like, I, I mean, maybe you correct it, but she's not now the scarlet letter banished from society forever because of a choice she made when she was three. Right. Mm-hmm. But here, this lady that I, again, I'm assuming is, is her, her grandmother or whatever is in many ways the scarlet letter from the the office society that we occupied in that in that example but then i thought that at some point this lady who now isn't liked by anyone was also three and was also given a pass no matter what and at some point we crossed this threshold where you don't get any more passes i don't know if it's like six years old or where that line is um but just like, it just makes me think of it when you keep talking about how, about remembering 
the person that we are underneath these layers of everything. And again, it, it wasn't about myself. It was about her. And I have no idea if she ever had that thought or not, but does that make sense? What I'm talking about there with her? And mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier on that, you know, we all come into this world as, as, as babies, kind of mostly the same way. Right. And yeah. we, we start off basically as, as happy that's i i believe at our core that's who we really are we are mm-hmm. we are still these beautiful kids inside um some of us are better at showing it now than others but yeah and it's something else that i, I even i still forget is that everybody out there no matter what's going on they're doing the best they can right now yeah yeah are they doing awesome maybe not maybe not but they're doing the best they can with what they got in the moment yeah, there's a guy named Sam Harris, um, who's a I think he's a neuroscientist, but he's a, a podcaster and to some extent kind of a modern day philosopher type. And he says that there's no such thing as free will. And he says that you can prove that by predicting what you'll think next, which is impossible because you don't know what thought will pop into your head next. He said an easy example is when he's trying to book guests for his show He'll be looking and be like, okay, I think it's between person A and B. Okay, I think I'll go with person B. And then all of a sudden, like a flash of lightning in his mind, he'll go, oh, it's really person F that I need to invite. I hadn't thought of them until just now. That's the person I need to invite, though. And he's like, but until that flash moment happened, I I had no idea that person F was the person that I needed to invite, even though, you know, somewhere it's dormant in there. And so how could you possibly claim to exercise free will when you don't even know what you're going to think next. <laughs> and I don't know how comfortable I am with adopting that philosophy, but I did find it very interesting to think about. And it speaks to your point of like, people are kind of just wherever they are. And mm-hmm. even if that's horrible for someone else, to, to some extent it's, but again, here we are now, we're, now we're talking about the complete, opposite of personal responsibility <laughs> after Possibly. just going on about the, the virtues of personal responsibility. Yeah. And then we're saying, well, wherever someone is, it, you know, that's where that's all, that's the best they could do. Right. So yeah, it, I, well, again, it's paradoxical. It is. Well, it's interesting because you can look at it both ways, right? You can look at it as, Oh, we're making ex- an excuse for that person. Right. Or you can also understand the fact that no, that's just where he's at in this moment. Right. That doesn't give, that's not giving credence or allowance to anything that this person may or may not have done. You know, if, if they hurt other, other people, whatever, that's not giving a, you know, a pass to any of that stuff. It's just, that's, that's where he's at right now. Okay. So, and if, if this person wants help, then how do we get them from that point to another place? Yeah. But yeah, that's tough. There, there's a lot of stuff out there. And it, unfortunately there's all people who want to blame and shame others in um, that, that never helps. Yeah, it doesn't. You're, I, I do believe you're correct there. Um, and that's true, whether you, you talk about other people or yourself, mm-hmm. it turns out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> doesn't, yeah, definitely doesn't hurt to blame or shame yourself. No, nope. no. Yeah, if it did, I, I would have, I would have, <laughs> I've been filthy rich a we'd, long time ago. We'd all be wildly <laughs> successful. Oh dude. Yeah. It'd be crazy. And happy. Uh, uh. <laughs> Um, so one other thing I wanted to touch on real quick is, is, uh, my understanding and, and correct me if I'm wrong is that, but you're currently working on a, on a book as well. Is that right? Um, I actually have submitted it to my publisher. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking, hoping it's going to be out in a couple of months. Awesome. Yeah. We're in editing and formatting and all that kind of stuff, stuff that is way, way out of my league. <laughs> <laughs> So but, uh, if you don't mind, can you talk about just generally what the book is about? Oh, yeah. It, um, it is, um, it's called Let Your Dog Lead. Mm. So um, similar premise as, as the work I'm doing um, with some caveats. The, uh, the subtitle is Musings on How to Create an Extraordinary Life. And it is uh, a bunch of short chapters um, with some... And many of them, there's activities to do with your dog, you know, and, and questions to ponder while you go do something else with your dog and let them take you somewhere different this time. 
Um, there are things on how to make a tiny one degree shift. Um, what, you know, for an example, let's say tomorrow morning you get up and you brush your teeth with the other hand. So, you know, trying to change these behaviors that are, we've just programmed. If you think about all the things you do through our day, we do them the same way over and over and over. It's fascinating. So getting ourselves to, to change our way of thinking and doing things opens us up a lot to being willing to do something else. Hmm. There again, another paradox, the routine. If you have no routine, you got to get a morning routine, right? You got to get a routine. It'll help you feel, start your day right and be plugged in. And I think that that's all true. However, when the routine becomes too routine, <laughs> then it becomes the problem in and of itself, right? Now we've got to switch hands while we brush our teeth to break up the routine. Yeah. Take your dog a different direction. Drive a different way to work. Um, get right. your coffee somewhere else next time. Try a new restaurant. I mean, just you can, you can make up a million things, right? And I put a list of 50 in the book just as a starter. Um, nice. But yeah, so the book is just to help start to shift a way of thinking and, and getting your dog to help you do it. Awesome. Well, Michael, I have uh, really, really enjoyed our conversation here this evening. Uh, thank you for helping me try and figure out all the paradoxes that we... <laughs> oh, there's more. there's more. There's yeah, more. Oh, there's, there's more. Um, so again, the, the website is dogsandmen.com. Is there anywhere else? And I'll have that in the show notes, but is there anywhere else you'd like people to go to connect with you, social media or anything like that? Um, I'm not a huge social media fan at this point, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think dogsandmen.com it is. Yeah. And they can, or yeah, I can even be emailed direct to Michael at dogsandmen.com. Okay. Yeah. But he's got a question. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, Michael, again, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for stopping by this evening. Thank you. This was freaking fun.
that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Michael Overly for stopping by and sharing his walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a podcast about why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of these shows are available on any podcast app. Thanks for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.